Ruth chapter number four, if you have your Bible, you can follow along there and please remain standing in honor of God's word. Ruth chapter number four, I'm going to begin in verse number 13. The scripture says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman, the woman said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed for he was the father of Jesse who was the father of of David. Today, we continue in our sermon series, Blessed to be a Blessing. And I want to minister to you from the story of Ruth about the why behind being a blessing. Why should we want to be a blessing? What is our why? What is our reason for wanting to bless other people or to allow God to bless other people through us? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by your power to every single heart that is here and that is watching from wherever they're tuning in from. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to the story of Ruth, we find our first truth for today. And that is everybody needs someone, some of the time to be a blessing to them. Everybody needs someone, some of the time to be a blessing to them. We are not meant to do life alone. Matter of fact, the first, you know, not good in the scripture is it's not good for man to be alone. Everybody needs somebody, some of the time in order to be a blessing to them. The Bible says two are better than one. Everybody needs somebody, some of the time to be a blessing to them. And Ruth's story is no different. Ruth has a mother-in-law. Her name is Naomi, and Naomi is married to a man by the name of Elimelech. And they have two sons, Malian and Killian. I call him Max and Kevin because who says Malian and Killian anymore? Anyway, Elimelech and Naomi, they're blessed. Their boys are blessed. Their family is good. Their marriage is good. They have it together financially. Everybody is healthy. Life is good. When suddenly out of nowhere, they find themselves living through Times that were difficult. A famine struck their land in their hometown of Bethlehem. And so they decide they're going to leave Bethlehem for a season. They didn't expect it to be a, a long season, but for a season, they were going to move to the land of Moab and they were kind of, kind of pick life back up together because there was food in Moab. There was no food in Bethlehem. So the famine is a setback and leaving their home and their land was a setback, but they have one another. And as long as you have one another, everything's going to be okay. So they pick it up and they kind of resettle, get a new house, a new place. And as they're settling down in Moab, everything seems to be getting back to normal again. Elimelech dies. And Naomi is left without a husband. And in Bible times, this was not a good situation to be in. You were dependent, if you were a woman, on your husband to take care of you. And then if your husband passed away, you were now dependent. Your sons had to step up and take the responsibility of taking care of you. And so even though Elimelech had passed away, Naomi was still going to be okay because she had two sons that were still alive. And they decided that, you know, they'd treat their mom the right way. So they 
lost the patriarch of the family, but everybody was going to pull together. They were going to rally around mom. They were going to make sure she's okay, make sure she had everything that she needed. And so now they're getting, kind of getting used to life without a limelight. Well, the two boys, Max and Kevin, they marry Moabite girls, right? One of the girls' names was Orpa, not to be confused with Oprah. This is, I think, where Oprah got her name from, though. They flipped the letters in her name accidentally, as the story goes. And so they married these two girls, Orpa, and the other one's name was Ruth. And they've gotten their legs back underneath them again, and, you know, they're they're pulling it together. The family is expanding. Naomi is, you know, kind of blessed because she sees her husband, her kids, who are now marrying, and she's looking forward to grandchildren and all of that. And so they pulled it back together. Life, they got their life legs back. But suddenly, out of nowhere, not one of her sons, but both of her sons They die, and now Naomi has no husband and no sons to take care of her. And so now she is really, really, really destitute. And she looks at her daughter-in-laws, and they're now widows, and just like her in a society that is now, they are now extremely vulnerable. And everybody's left to wonder, how am I going to make it through? And sometimes in life, we can experience sudden setbacks and we're, we ask ourselves the question, how are we going to make it through this? We didn't, we didn't expect this. This isn't, this isn't the plan that we had. And sometimes we can get disheartened and discouraged along the way. And without getting too far ahead of myself, I want you to know that if that's your situation, that God has not forgotten about you. God still has a plan for you. And so Naomi, she now realizes she's older. She's lived her life. She looks at her two daughter-in-laws and she decides to kind of give them some advice to, to kind of do what's best for them. She says, listen, I'm old. I don't have much life left to live. I've lived my life and you know, there's really nothing for me to live for anymore. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go back to your father's houses where you can kind of be taken care of by them and marry again because I don't have any sons for you to wait for. I can't, I can't give you any more of my children. So go ahead back. And Orpa, she loves Naomi. But with tears in her eyes, she looks at it and she sees it Naomi's way. And so she goes back home and we never hear anything about what happens. So she drops out of the story, which is a whole nother message. But Ruth, Ruth refuses to leave Naomi's side. And she famously says, Ruth chapter one, verse number 16, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What is the takeaway? Everybody needs somebody. Some of the time to stand by them, to encourage them. Many times in life, the difference between making it and faking it is that heaven sent person who is there for you when life throws you a curveball so that you don't throw in the towel. How many times do we all get discouraged? Do we all feel like giving up? And it's that person or those people that God sends into our life to just be an encouragement to her, to us when stuff happens, when life is going the wrong way, when you endure one hardship and then you try to get it back together again and be before you know it, here comes another hardship. Everybody needs somebody, some of the time, to stand by them, to be a blessing to them, to keep them from quitting, to say, I'm not leaving. I might not have all the answers, but I'm here. We're going to walk through this thing together. You can lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. Just playing. Everybody needs somebody. 
some of the time. Not only does everybody need somebody, but as believers, we need to be available to be that kind of blessing to whomever it is that the Lord may lead us to. God will bring people into our lives for the sole purpose of us being an encouragement to them. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as believers? Don't you wish we were as good as encouraging each other as we are about talking about each other? As good at, about encouraging others, other people as we are about tearing other people down, right? The scripture says one of the simple ways that you and I can be a blessing to other people is simply to encourage them when they need encouragement so that the enemy's grip on their life. They're, 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 they're feeling despondent, discouraged. They want to quit. They want to throw in the towel. They want to give up. And sometimes the difference between somebody giving up and somebody pressing forward is they need to hear from you. I remember I was in ministry one year. And when I came into ministry, I came into ministry. It was a crazy time. Some of you know the story, but it was, it was nuts. I thought church people were all out of their mind. I had never seen the kind of stuff happening in the world that was happening in the church. I mean, it was, it was, I was like, this is, this is God's house. You know, God's house is a house for the sick, by the way. Did you know that? We shouldn't be so surprised when stuff happens in God's house because God's house is supposed to be a hospital for sick people. And I can tell you as a pastor now, for a long time, there's a lot of sickos in the house of God. Just let me tell you that, right? And so like, I was like, I was out of my mind. I was like, these people are crazy. This is what I left my, my, my career as an accountant for. This is what I left my, my good life for in order to deal with this kind of stuff. I was discouraged. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I said, I don't need anything this and I called a friend. How many of you know sometimes you need to phone a friend? Right? I phoned a friend. I said, I said, this ain't for me. I said, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't signing up for this. And you know him, his name is Rick Renner. He's been here to preach many, many times. He'll be back again as soon as they let him out of Russia, because now you can't leave Russia, because if you leave, you can't go back into Russia. Anyway, so I called Rick. I said, Rick, I want to quit. These people are nuts. And Rick is very dramatic, if you ever know Rick. He's not dramatic in, 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 in casual conversation, but when he preaches, he's very, very dramatic, right? And he, and he says to me, he says, Frank, you know? It's almost like God was talking, you know, when you hear him talk like that. I don't know how he does that with his voice. He says, you can't quit now. What God has called you to do is bigger than what you think. God is going to use you to do something extraordinary. You can't, I don't know, there wasn't no magic in what he said, but it was at that moment when I needed somebody to be a blessing to me. Just by blessing me with words of encouragement. Somebody needs you to be there. Somebody needs you to say, we're going to get through this thing. Somebody needs you to help pull them through so they know that life is worth living. Be a blessing to somebody just by being compassionate and encouraging to them. There's power in your kindness. There's power in your encouragement. When you pour in encouragement into other people, the enemy loses his grip on their life that causes them to quit. Be a Ruth to some Naomi's. Be a Barnabas to a Saul of Tarsus. You say, Pastor, well, what does that mean? Well, Barnabas is known in the Bible to be the encourager. Did you know that the apostle Paul would have never made it had it not been for Barnabas? He was ready to quit. 
He gave his life to Jesus, and then he went to where the church was, and he tried to get receive, you know, the church to receive him, and the church rejected him. They're like, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We don't believe your conversion is genuine. They, they didn't like the fact that he killed so many Christians. Like, we don't want to have nothing to do with you. And so he got discouraged. He went back to his hometown. But you know what Barnabas did? Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Back in Jerusalem, Paul tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They didn't trust him one bit. Then Barnabas took him under his wing. If it wasn't for Barnabas, the enemy's grip on Paul's life would have stayed strong. But Barnabas encouraged him. His original name was Joseph, but everywhere he went, he would encourage somebody. And so they changed it. They gave him a nickname. I love nicknames. Nicknames are great, right? We got a nickname for Pastor Brandon, but I'm not going to say what the nickname is. <laughs> they gave him a nickname, and the nickname meant Barnabas, and it literally means son of encouragement. And when you break that down, it literally means it's almost as if fa- he was fathered by encouragement. That encouragement is in was in his DNA. And if you are a child of God, do you know encouragement is in your DNA? When people are in your presence who are depressed or despondent or let down or whatever the case may be, by the time they leave, they ought to feel elevated and lifted and hopeful. Everybody needs somebody some of the time to be a blessing to them. Ruth was a blessing to Naomi. Number two, being a blessing requires sacrifice. In the natural, it would have been better for Ruth to do what Orpah did. Go back to her father's house. Remarry. That was the right move for Ruth. But she sacrificed what was best for her in order to be a blessing to her mother-in-law. Ruth's pain, Naomi's gain. Ruth's pain, Naomi's gain. That's what sacrifice is. Sacrifice has become a little dirty in the church. Because the church wants convenient Christianity 100% of the time. And if it's not convenient, if everything is not right, if the weather is not perfect, if it's too hot, uh, you know, I'll go to the beach. If it's too rainy, I'll stay home. And the church wants everything perfect and convenient. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a, a religion where sometimes we are called to make sacrifices. Our pain their gain. That's what sacrifice is. It is contrary to the society that we live in today, which says look out for number one. It's contrary to the popular belief that if you don't look out for you, nobody else will. Excuse me. God's looking out for us. It doesn't really matter if anybody else is looking out for us. God is looking out for us. Our shepherd is the Lord, the great almighty and I am. He's watching over us. He's ordering our steps. He has good things planned for us. So I'm okay with temporary sacrifice for me if it means betterment for somebody else. Why? Because God is looking out for me. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus did for us. His pain, our gain. He took our cross. We got his righteousness. He took our sin. We got his salvation. He took our punishment so we can sit in heavenly places with him. He took our sickness so we can be well in our bodies. He took our on our humanity so we can partake of his divinity. He was demoted so we could be promoted. He took on human life so we could have eternal life. His pain, our gain. That sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what it says. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. That's powerful. 
in everything you do. I think some people read that in some of the things that you do. But in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When we, when it's our pain for somebody else's gain, God led, spirit led, not talking about being a doormat, not talking about being abused, none of that kind of stuff, but when it is spirit led sacrifice for the sake of the benefit of somebody else, that is a pleasing aroma to God. Being a blessing requires sacrifice. And that's the sign of true Christianity. This was Ruth. She sacrificed her comfort. She agreed to go back to Bethlehem from Moab. She was a Moabitess. They were really religiously discriminatory in Bible days. Like, the Jews thought that, you know, everybody else was lower than them. Because they had the truth. And sometimes we as Christians, right, we can stick our our nose in the air, right, at other people. I promise you that if you act uppity around other people, you'll never win them the Christ, Right? And so she was a Moabitess. When she went back to Bethlehem with Naomi to her hometown, everybody looked at her some kind of way because she was a Moabitess. So she sacrificed her own comfort. She sacrificed being financially taken care of, and she had to become a gleaner. And a gleaner was somebody who would literally pick up the scraps in the field after the harvesters went through just so they could have food. In other words, she was she was going to garbage cans. And she was picking out of the garbage cans just to get food so her and her her mother-in-law would make it. This was how the poor and the destitute lived. Ruth sacrificed to be a blessing because that's what blessing requires. It's not always convenient. It's not always affordable. It's not always easy. It's not always the quickest path to personal gain. But it's God-honoring. God has sacrificed so much for us. Are we willing to sacrifice some for him as he leads us, as as he directs us? Third truth we come to is everyone can be a blessing. Ruth was not the ideal candidate to be a blessing. She didn't have it going on. She didn't have all of this excess. She didn't have all of these resources. She was dealing with her own grief and losses, right? Naomi has lost a husband and two sons, but Ruth lost a husband, lost a father-in-law, lost a brother-in-law, lost a sister-in-law, lost everything that was associated with her living in her familiar surroundings in Moab. She wasn't the ideal candidate to be a blessing. But listen, it doesn't take much to be a blessing, but it does take a decision. A decision that says, no matter what, I'm going to be a blessing. I choose to be a blessing in tough times and in triumphant times, in good times and in bad times, when I have much and when I have little, when life is going my way and when it's not. I'm not going to let circumstances determine whether or not I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to let my love for God and my love for people lead me in this area of our lives. Everybody can be a blessing no matter what they have or what they're going through. Joseph was a blessing as an inmate. Paul wrote epistles in prison. The Macedonian church was a financial blessing when they were in deep poverty. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. 
Paul is writing, he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Now, how many of you think poor people can be generous? Right? It's, it's like, it doesn't sound like it's possible. How, how does somebody who's poor be financially generous? But watch this. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. They weren't letting their circumstances dictate whether they were going to be a blessing. They were being spirit-led in this. And Ruth, she was a blessing to Naomi while she was dealing with her own grief and her own loss. Everyone can be a blessing. No matter what you have, no matter what you're going through. It doesn't take much, but it does take a choice. You have to consciously say, you know what? I, I mean, wouldn't this be a great way to live? I'm living to be a blessing. When you wake up today, God, who can I be a blessing to? How can I be a blessing to somebody today? And again, so many different ways. Be kind. Be encouraging. Right? Pay for somebody's coffee at the Starbucks window. Whatever whatever it is that God leads you to do, be a blessing. But number four, the best time to be a blessing is when you need a blessing. The best time to be a blessing is when you need a blessing. Why? Because being a blessing sets into motion a spiritual law that sets you up to receive a blessing. Now watch this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 8. If you've been tuning out the whole time, tune in now. This is where it gets good. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 8 says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. This means simply when I decide to be a blessing, I will see a blessing. Let me say it again. This means very succinctly when I decide to be a blessing, I will see a blessing. Now, this is not my reason for being a blessing. It's not my why. We'll get to that in just a minute. It's not my reason, but it is the result of deciding to be a blessing. When we decide to be a blessing, we will receive a blessing. Watch this. From the Lord. From the Lord. Now this is this excites me, and the reason why this excites me is because when we make hap- what we make happen for others, God promises to make happen for us, and God uses bigger portions than us. God God supersizes everything, supernaturally sizes everything. This is one of the reasons why I think God is Italian. By the way, I know a lot of people think God is Jewish. I'm challenging that theology at this moment. It's a lot of reason why I believe God is Italian. Number one, every Sunday he drank wine and wore sandals. That's Italian. He lived at home with his mother until he was 30. That's Italian. Him and his father were in the car, were in the carpenter's union. That's Italian. He hung out with 12 guys. None of them had jobs. That's Italian. And when he was born, three wise guys, they brought him presents for no reason at all. That's Italian. He walked around his entire life saying, hey, you know who my father is? It's Italian. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. When I, when I think about, when I think about the portions that God uses, I think about my, my late great Italian grandmother. I used to sleep over her house at least once a week. Right? And I'd go there and you would not, I'd be like three, four, five. You know, probably still when I was in a high chair, I just don't remember that. But like when I was like five, I'd get up and she said, okay, sit down and make you breakfast. Right? 
This is what breakfast was. I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. She would cut up a whole loaf of Italian bread. And by the way, like a big loaf like this, you know, she would put butter on both sides of it and sear it on the skillet, you know. And so that was the whole loaf of Italian bread. Then she would make a dozen eggs. She put cream and sugar in the eggs. If you have never put cream and sugar in your eggs, you don't know what you are missing. I mean, it just elevates it to a level unknown. And she would she'd make scramble the whole dozen. She'd make a pound of bacon. She'd make a stack of pancakes that was higher than my the top of my head on the table. It was like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I would, I just, uh, and 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 it, she'd just make that for me. And if I didn't eat it all, she'd be like, "Why you're not hungry?" God is Italian, I'm telling you. He uses big portions. You don't believe me? Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight. Given it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will it be put into your bosom? That's Italian. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough for you to receive. That's Italian. Psalm 68, verse number 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. That's Italian. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse number 2. All these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. That's Italian. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And the Lord is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That's Italian. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9 and 10. It's all throughout the Bible. I don't know how people miss this. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your bonds be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's Italian. And my favorite scripture of all, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever that's Italian Jesus was at least part Italian I promise you and see when I imagine God see this is us right here this is this is how we can be a blessing and by the way, I just grabbed these. I didn't wash them. You know, they were in the garage and stuff like that. So we come along and, and, and here's the proportion we use because, not because we're not trying to be generous, but we, we only have so much, right? Compared to God, this is our portion. And then God comes along and, and this is God's portion right here, right? God uses the snow shovel. We lose, use the dustpan and God uses bigger portions. And here's what this scripture is telling us or what this whole story is telling us is that the best time to be a blessing is when you need a blessing because God returns to us with bigger size portions than we ever, ever, ever could imagine giving to God. He does it according to his standards. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19. And my God shall supply all my need. Now you get all the religious people going, oh, it's only need, it's only need, it's only need. It's the stupidest theology in all the world. It's stupid and it's American. Because Americans, American Christianity is selfish. We live for us. And so we really aren't concerned about anything more than our needs. 
But how many of you know God's not trying to get a blessing to you? God's also trying to get a blessing through you. And if all you ever have is only for your needs, you'll never pass it on. And so what does God do? He meets all of our needs. How? According to his riches in glory. Have you ever read about heaven? Some people don't believe in prosperity. are going to be shocked when they get to heaven. They're going to be like, God, you are such a sinner. You made these streets out of gold. What a waste of money, God. I can't believe that you made the pavement out of gold. They're going to walk up. They're going to open the, they're going to open the gates of heaven. They're made of solid pearl. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing? There you go wasting money. I hope that on the inside, it's not quite as carnal as it is on the outside. According to, according to, according to his riches in glory. What's God trying to tell us? He uses bigger portions than we do. So how many of you know that when you decide to become a blessing, you set yourself up to see a blessing? Ruth has been a blessing to Naomi. And watch God start blessing her back. And by the way, it's not always instantaneous. And I believe part of the reason why it's not always instantaneous is because God is testing our hearts. He's testing our why. The why is not because we receive a blessing back. It's not the why. The, the receiving the blessing back is the result. And so Ruth has been a blessing to Naomi. And now after she's been a gleaner, after... She has proven she hasn't done it just to get something back, but rather because she wants to allow God to use her, God starts to bless her back. Watch what happens. Ruth chapter 2, verse number 3. Then she left and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Who was Elimelech? Naomi's husband. Boaz was a relative of all the fields in Bethlehem. Every single one of them. She just had, they just happened to go on to the field that belonged to Boaz, who was a relative of Elimelech. How many of you know that when you decide to be a blessing, God will walk you into it just so happened to be moments in your life. You will just so happen to find yourself in the right place at the right time. You'll just so happen to find good breaks coming your way. You'll just so happen to get picked. You'll just so happen to get promoted. Just so happen to get chosen. Just so happen to get called. Just so happen to come across information that you need. Why? Because God is blessing you back. What just so happened? Opportunities. It's not a coincidence. It's God taking out his shovel and repaying you with a supernaturally sized blessing. Just so happened to pick the field that belonged to Boaz. And watch this. Boaz just so happens to show up at the exact time when Ruth is gleaning in his field. Ruth chapter 2, verse number 4. And behold, don't you love that? In other words, what God is saying, check this out. This is not like just coincidence. And behold, right? If you say to somebody, behold, you're not just saying check this out. You're saying just this is really exciting. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. 
And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is that? It just so happened that of all the fields that she could pick, she winds up gleaning on the field of Boaz. And it just so happens that when she's gleaning, that Boaz shows up. And it just so happens because there was a lot of girls gleaning on the field that particular day. But it just so happens that Ruth catches Boaz's eye. Why? Because God is getting ready to return the blessing. Because that's what God does. Whatever we make happen for somebody else, God makes happen for us. And Boaz goes out. He has a conversation. Watch this because the blessing of the Lord starts off slow, but it picks up real quick. And that's a word for somebody right there. It might start off slow, but it picks up real quick. Sometimes out of nowhere, when you least expect it, as you're being faithful, all of a sudden, the blessing of the Lord just comes on you and overtakes you. You have no idea where it came from and how it came, but it's God returning to you. And so they have this conversation, and Boaz says to her, I don't want you to go to any other field from now on and glean from any place else. I know that, you know, you guys bounce around from field to field, but I want you to come to this field. I told nobody, I told all the workers, don't you dare bother her. Because you know what would happen? As the girls were gleaning in the field, people who were advantaged would take, you know, would, would take this, how do you say, would take advantage of people who were disadvantaged. People who had would also, and so they would, they would make the girls do all these kinds of things in order to get food. And so Boaz said, nobody touch her. Don't bother her. Leave her alone. You come back to this field, and I just want you to know, every time you come back to this field, you are going to be protected in this field. And what does Ruth say? She says, so what do I owe such honor? And Boaz says, I heard about how you have been a blessing to your mother-in-law. Child of God, when you are a blessing to somebody, you don't have to announce it. God will make the right people find out about it. The people that need to know about it will find out about it. The people that have the ability to bless you back, the people that have the ability to open doors for you, the people that have the ability to cover you, God will make them find out because whenever you decide to be a blessing, you will see a blessing. And just in case... We don't realize that it was the Lord. Ruth chapter 4 verse 12, Boaz says, The Lord repay you for your work. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. How many of you know that God wants to give us not just partial rewards, but full rewards? The best time for you to be a blessing is when you need a blessing because it sets into motion the law of return. And so Ruth says, well, thank you. He says, it's my joy. And then he says, now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and she was satisfied. What happened? Because she decided to be a blessing. Did you see her transition begin? Instead of now being in the field, she was sitting at the table 
with the reapers. Can I tell you what happens when you decide to be a blessing? God changes your station in life. You go from where you were to places that you should never be sitting. God puts right opportunities. He puts you at tables. There should be no way that you are sitting at because God can trust you when you decide to be a blessing and so you will see a blessing. But notice what it says. She didn't just eat it all. The last part of the verse says, and she kept some back. And she kept some back. Why? Because she understood that even though God was blessing her in return, God wasn't simply trying to get a blessing to her. God still wanted to get a blessing through her. And so what did she do? She kept some back. Who was that for? That was for Naomi. She said, I realize that when I have little, God still wants to bring blessing through me. And when I have much, God definitely wants to bring blessing through me. Somebody needs to hear, keep some back. Set some aside. It's not all for your consumption. It's not all for everything you want. Thank God for his blessing. Thank God for his goodness. But when you're blessed, you ought to put some aside. You ought to say, okay, God, this is for you to work through me. God, how do you want to use me? By the way, if you're a Christian, you ought to put the first part aside every single time. Money comes into your hands. Set it aside. God, this is yours. God, this is how I, I remember that it all comes from you. God, this is how I don't ever get to the place where I think because I work hard. Thank God it's, we need to work hard. You'll be blessed if you work hard. But it's not because you work hard. Because I know a lot of people that are working 60, 70 hours a week can't even pay their bills. It's the blessing of the Lord that he puts on us. And so God wants us to keep some back. But watch this. It gets even better. Ruth chapter 4, verse number 15. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. The bundles, she didn't even have to work now to get her blessing. The bundles were dropped in her path. You know what the takeaway is? For some of you that have struggled your entire life, if you'll determine whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's trial times or triumphant times, that you are going to be a blessing. Here's God's word to you. It will get easier. Eventually, God will cause a flow to come into your life, and it'll just get easier. You'll start stumbling into blessings, stumbling upon blessings. Blessings will come your way out of nowhere where you least expect it, where you didn't count on it. Why? Because you are being a blessing, and when you are a blessing, this is what God does. He pays you back. Now, how did God pay her back? Well, Boaz. B-O-A-Z. As. Boaz. Can I tell you who Boaz was? I can only tell you who Boaz was by telling you who he wasn't. He wasn't broke ass. He wasn't lying ass. He wasn't dumb ass. He wasn't cheap ass. He wasn't good for nothing as. He wasn't lazy as. Here's who he was. He was tall as, dark as, handsome as, rich as, godly as, respectful as, church going as, family committed as, and God's blessing as. Ladies, make sure you pick your ass the right way. 
A-Z, as. As. Boaz marries Ruth, and Ruth goes from gleaning in the field to owning the field. From destitute to delivered, from struggling and surviving to security and thriving, from sorrow to joy, from broke to blessed, from scorn to celebrated. God paid her back because the best time for you to be a blessing is when you need a blessing. That's not your why, though. As good as that is, that's not your why. And I believe sometimes we slow the blessing of God down when we confuse our why. Now, God loves to give to us, right? Nothing wrong with expecting a return. When you give to the Lord, nothing wrong with that. But if that's your why, if that's your only why, there's something out of whack with that. It's almost like you think God is a gumball machine. God don't like to be a gumball machine. God God has not put a quarter in, get a gumball out. That's not the kind of relationship God... God does not want transactional relationship with you. God wants transcendent relationship with you. He doesn't want transactional He's not looking for your only prayer time to be a time when you ask him to do something for you. God is looking for just to spend time with you. He's looking just to, for you to, God, you're, I'm just here today. I don't need nothing, don't want nothing. I'm just here to tell you how much I love you. Just tell you how much I appreciate you so much, how thankful I am to you. Sometimes God just wants you to come into his presence and worship him, right? Some people, when all they do is come into God's presence and worship him, God is shocked by it. He's like, oh, they broke they broke what they normally do because normally the only reason why they ever come to me is because they're asking me for something. God's like, did you hear that? They actually worshiped me, didn't even ask for nothing. Our why, our reason is not because we receive. That's our result. Our reason is because being a blessing brings Jesus to the world. Let's go back to our opening text. Ruth chapter 4, verse number 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in our lap, and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, for he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And from David came who? Jesus. Listen, listen, listen. The greatest miracle ever known to mankind. The biggest blessing ever to be given to any individual, any nation, any world. Jesus is the result of two people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum who decided... My life is going to be a blessing. Somebody who had nothing, who said, I'm going to be a blessing. And somebody who had everything, who said, I'm blessed, and so I'm going to be a blessing. And when you had the convergence of those two people who decided and made a decision that they were going to be a blessing, no matter what their life presented to them, out of that came Jesus to the world. When you decide to be a blessing, because, here's your why, because you want Jesus to be brought to the world, because you want people 
to know him because you know how glorious it is yourself to know him. When you live that way, people start experiencing Christ. And that's our why. Because at the end of the day, I love the way Jesus talks to the rich fool who has everything. He says, fool, this not your soul would be required of you. Then who, who, who will those things be? Because at the end of the day, the stuff doesn't matter. And I don't say that to mean don't enjoy your stuff. Don't ask God for stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is eternity. What matters is will people spend it with God in the place he's prepared for humankind in heaven or apart from him in a place never created for us, which is hell. And that's really what it's all about. And that's the reason why we want to be a blessing. That's the reason why I met a guy at a table who I didn't know, but I knew was a brother in Christ whose church was ready to crumble and all he needed was $10,000. And I said, we got that here. You can do it. It's the reason why you saw the things that we did. It's the reason why next week we're bringing the girls from the homie. They think they're coming here to minister to us and they will, but we're going to be a blessing to them. Because what matters is eternal things. Would you stand to your feet? That's what our special offering is all about. Bringing Jesus to the world. Let's all be generous next week as the Lord leaves. I want to conclude with this. I skipped a whole bunch of stuff in the story because there's so much in the story of Ruth. You can really be there all day. But, but Boaz is called a kinsman redeemer. And, and the reason why he's called the kinsman redeemer is because like every Old Testament story in the Bible, the, the real truth is to foreshadow Jesus to us. And so in the story, we are Ruth and we are Naomi. Destitute, despondent, and dependent. We need somebody to rescue us. Boaz, in the story, is Jesus. He's a kinsman redeemer. Now, in the Bible times, in order for a kinsman redeemer to redeem or to rescue a woman who is destitute, there were two criteria. Number one, the kinsman redeemer had to be able and willing. Able, he had to have the financial wherewithal to buy back everything that was lost. He had to, he had to be able to take care of them after they came underneath his care. But then number two, he had to be willing. If he wasn't willing, that's why, by the way, Ruth, Naomi told Ruth to go to the threshing floor when nobody else was around to ask him if he would be her kinsman redeemer because Ruth, Ruth, Naomi was saying to Ruth, don't shame him. It was a shame to say no. So he had to be able and willing. But then number two, the person being redeemed had to ask. If the person being redeemed didn't ask, the kinsman redeemer couldn't do it. So what is this a type of? This is a type of Jesus. Jesus is able. He's able. He has everything he needs. All of the equipment to buy us back. Everything, right? 
And he's the only one who's able. And the reason why he's the only one who's able is because he is the only one who lived a sinless life. So he's the only one who could be a sacrifice for sin. And he's the only one who defeated death. So he's the only one who could truly give life. He was able. But then he was also willing. Because before you or I even asked him, he left heaven and came to earth. Before you and I ever knew we needed a savior, he dressed himself in the clothes of a human being and was born in a stable. He was not only able, but he was willing. And then no one took his life for him. But the Bible says he laid it down of his own accord. He's able. He's willing. What is stopping you from being redeemed? You got to ask. Because asking says, I'm humbling myself. And I'm recognizing that I can't save myself. That I need something outside of me, someone outside of me to redeem me from the sin that is against my soul. We need to ask. Every week, we give you the opportunity to ask. One of the things that God will never be able to say to me is you didn't tell him the gospel. I promise you, if you stand before God on judgment day, you will not be able to say, well, my pastor never told me. Because God will play the videotape. And every time you think, oh, there goes Pastor again, saying the same thing over and over again, God will be like, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. How many of you know we get so many opportunities in this lifetime to receive the gospel? It's very rare. And in our day and age, I don't even know if it's possible anymore, it may be, for somebody not to hear the gospel. Very rare. Jesus died for our sins. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's able, he's willing. Will you ask? If you're here today, you don't know where you stand with Jesus. If you're at a location, if you're watching online, you don't know where you stand with Jesus. You need to ask him to save your soul. With no no one looking around, if that's you and you're here, you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. I need him to forgive me of my sins. Put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. If you're on the other side of that camera and that's you, just reach out. There's a little hand that you can click it right there. We're going to pray right now. I think I know everybody in here. And so I think I, I think everybody in here is saved. If you're saved, raise your hand. If you're not saved, raise your hand. See what I just did right there? Trick everybody into No, just like, for the benefit of those that are watching online. Let's all pray this prayer together. You who are watching online needs Jesus. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sin. And I make you my Lord and Savior. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't done it yet, click the little hand in front of you. Type, I gave my life to Jesus in the chat. And somebody will reach out to you.